Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see everybody again, and uh, thank you for having me and for uh, asking me back again. It's a real privilege just to be with you again and to renew fellowship with you and, uh, and friendship. And that was, that was great singing. I'm, I can't sing a note, but I can, I can recognize good singing. So uh, it was just lovely to hear uh, God's people call out to the Lord and praise him. And uh, it's a wonderful thing that indeed the Lord is in the midst. He's here. He's right here in our presence. And uh, we rejoice in that. And we look to him this morning to lead us and to guide us and to speak to us through his word and by the power of his spirit. So let's just turn to Ruth chapter 4, Ruth chapter 4, and we're going to read from verse 1, just to the end of the chapter. Before we turn to God's word, let's just come before the Lord in prayer. Eternal Father... As we enter into your presence, we give you all the glory as we have just sang. Father, we thank you that you are indeed a a great God, an almighty God, a God who holds this, this very universe in the palm of his hands. Father, we declare your sovereignty. We declare your greatness. And we thank you, Father, that you are a God who loves us, a God who uh, is gracious towards us, a God who has demonstrated the degree of that love by sending your own and precious Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world. Father, we thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that he went on to that cross, our great Redeemer, and indeed through the shedding of his precious blood has redeemed us and brought us from the slave market of sin and set us free in Christ. Father, we thank you that we are no longer that old self, but we have a new life in Christ, a new heart, and indeed a new course and a new destination, an inheritance that is undefiled and incorruptible and will never fade away. Father, we thank you and praise you for our salvation. And we thank you, Father, that we indeed know your presence day by day by the indwelling of your Holy Spirit. And we pray, Father, this morning that as the word is proclaimed, that the Holy Spirit will have free reign in our hearts and indeed that you will cut into our hearts and mold us and change us and do that hard work of heart work in each and every one of your people so that we would draw closer to the Lord, so that we would be conformed more unto his likeness, and so that we would respond in obedience and service and with a heart that is on fire to share our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, this morning we pray for anyone in this meeting who does not yet know the Lord as their own personal Savior, who hasn't yet come to the foot of their Redeemer, Father, we once were all in that place. We once were all in that place where we set our hopes on the things of the world. None of us are any different. But Father, we pray this morning that that this would be an hour of salvation for some within this fellowship. We pray it would be an hour in which they, they realize their need of a Savior, their need of a Redeemer, the need to turn from the world and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ while he may be found. Father, we pray earnestly, fervently, with all our heart, that those who are outside of Christ this morning would let go of this world that is passing away and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in saving faith. 
So, Father, be with us now as the Word is opened, as the Word is read, and the Word is preached. We pray, Father, that you and you alone would be given the glory, and that our hearts would be humbled, ready to hear your Word, respond to your Word, receive your Word, and indeed be the doers of your Word also. And we pray these things in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Ruth chapter 4 and verse 1. My Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom, of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the close relative Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabites, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. In verse 7, Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a, a, a confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal, and Boaz said to the elders and all the people, your witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilon's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabites, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. Your witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in, in, in Epaphra and, and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. In verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. And the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor woman gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. And Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon. And Nashon begot Solomon. And Solomon begot Boaz. And Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David. And finish reading in verse 22. So... We've come to the end of our little series, our little study in Ruth, and I want to, again, want to thank you for your encouragement and your prayers uh, throughout this study, and indeed the conversations that have been had at the door. It's been greatly appreciated and a real encouragement to me and to my own heart, and so I want to thank you for that. And so last week we left Ruth chapter 3 at a time of uncertainty in the story. 
If you remember, uh, Ruth and Boaz had been coming closer together, and Ruth had come to Boaz and, and under the instruction of Naomi, had asked Boaz for, for marriage to, 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 to become his wife. And it, it seems as if it all was going well, the story was going to end well, and then suddenly there's a curveball. There's an uncertainty in the story. And Boaz says to Ruth, there may be a closer relative than I. In other words, I may not be the kinsman redeemer. I I may not be, if you remember, the kinsman redeemer was that special person in the Israelite family. Uh, That kinsman redeemer had special responsibilities. Those responsibilities were to to, to buy an Israelite out of slavery. Uh, uh, That responsibility was to buy back forfeited land so that the land would remain in the family name. Uh, the, the responsibility of the kinsman redeemer was to, to marry a childless widow, to, to continue on the family name, to continue on the inheritance. And, and Boaz is saying, I may not be that closest relative. There's a closer relative than I. I may not be the kinsman redeemer. There's this other guy. There's this other guy who's a closer relative. I've got to go to him, and I've got to ask him if he wants to fulfill the redeemer role. And if he wants to fulfill the Redeemer role, well, he will fulfill that Redeemer role and and he will marry Ruth. But if he doesn't want to fulfill the Redeemer role, Boaz is very willing to fulfill that role of kinsman Redeemer for Ruth and to marry her. So there's uncertainty in the story that we left at the end of chapter 3. And as was said at the time, uncertainty can often come into our lives. But we're to remember that God is in control. God is sovereign, and we rest in Him. We're not to worry. We're not to be anxious. You know, when we look back at the story of, of Ruth, we just, you know, as I said, it all seemed to be going so well. Ruth and had crossed over that border from Moab unto the promised land. She had clung on to Naomi, but she, she hadn't just clung on to Naomi. She actually turned to the Lord. She turned to the true God. There was Ruth, a Moabiteess, worshiping false gods, many gods. And in the providence of God, in the mystery of His providence, and the grace of God, we see that Ruth meets with Naomi through marriage, obviously. She had married Naomi's son. Her son had, her, uh, the, the son had passed away. She was the daughter-in-law of Naomi. And through that relationship, as Naomi turns back to Israel, turns back to her Lord, Ruth turns to Naomi's Lord. Ruth turns to the true God, turns to the Lord. And we see the evidence of that in Ruth's life. Remember, the the community saw Ruth as a virtuous woman. Remember how she showed such obedience and humility as she served Naomi and, and did what Naomi asked and went out to that field. And remember how she met with Boaz and, and, and how the Lord just blessed her by uh, giving her that relationship with Boaz where Boaz ministered into Ruth's life and nourished her and protected her and, and shielded her. And as we've seen that relationship evolve and develop, and Ruth was updating Naomi, and Naomi reminded Ruth and told Ruth that that this is a close relative. This could be our kinsman redeemer. Go to your redeemer and and, and ask for marriage. And indeed, in chapter 3, Ruth goes to her redeemer. Ruth goes to Boaz. And literally, she she uncovers his feet and, and comes to the foot of her redeemer ready to enter into a relationship with him. And, you know, I, I'll take the opportunity again, and it's, 
It's really on my heart this morning for those here in this room who are outside of Christ, who have not yet come to their Redeemer, have not yet come to the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, I appeal to you. I appeal to you with all my heart. Don't hold on to this world any longer. Don't stay in Moab. Cross over. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Give your life to him. Know eternal life this very morning. Know a new relationship with God today. Know sins forgiven. Know your Redeemer this morning by putting your faith in him, in the Lord Jesus Christ, and in him alone. And so we see that Ruth and Ruth is, is asking Boaz to, to, to take her under his wing, to be married, and then Boaz brings this uncertainty. There may be a closer relative. It may be that Ruth does not marry Boaz. It may be that Ruth marries this other closer relative. So chapter 4 concludes the story. And what does Boaz do? Well, chapter 4 and verse 1, Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoke came by. So Boaz has got to go to this closer relative to see whether he wants to fulfill the kinsman-redeemer role, whether he wants to fulfill that role in its totality, to marry Ruth. And so he goes to, the, to, to this closer relative, and, and as I've said before, I'm a big fan of Boaz. I just, everything about him just is, is, you're just drawn to him, his godly character, his godly behavior, how he, right at the very beginning in chapter 2 when we were introduced to him, how he set out his stall for the Lord. Do you remember when we were brought into Boaz's office, when we were brought into his company, when, when we saw him as the chief executive and the staff, and when we first seen Boaz, he said, to the staff, to the laborers, may the Lord be with you. And they said, may the Lord bless you, Boaz. Boaz had a positive, sanctifying impact on everyone around him because of his godly life. And here we see another aspect of Boaz's character, his godly wisdom, his godly wisdom. You know, Boaz, when he's trying to find this closer relative, he doesn't go at it like a bull in a china shop. He doesn't kind of run to this closer relative's house and bashes on the door and calls out where, at the window and says, right, come on, get out of here. We need to sort this out. Uh, you know, who's, who's marrying Ruth here and who's going to fulfill the kinsman redeemer? And he doesn't get on all emotive and angry and agitated. He doesn't go at it in a foolish way. He doesn't go at it in a worldly way. He doesn't go at it in a carnal way. He goes at it in a way that is godly and wise and discerning. In the way that he approaches this matter, it's in a God-glorifying way. He doesn't go to the house. He doesn't knock on the door. He doesn't shout about it. He goes to the city gate. He goes to the city gate. Now, what's relevant about that? Why would he go to the city gate? Because in those days, the gate of the city was where matters were resolved. It's like the town council or the town court, the city gate. And in the city gate, at the city gate, that was the area, that was the forum in which agreements were made, contracts were agreed, deals were done, things were confirmed in a legal and binding way, in the right way, in the appropriate way, in a way that was done in front of witnesses so that nobody could doubt it. 
So Boaz goes about this situation in the right way, in the God-glorifying way. He goes to the gate of the city. He doesn't go at it like a bull in a china shop, in an unbiblical, in a worldly and carnal way. He goes about it in the God-glorifying way. Such godly wisdom Boaz shows. And the application for our own heart is, how do we respond as God's people to complex situations? How do we respond to stressful situations? How do we respond in the workplace when, when, when curveballs come and, and difficult situations arise? Sometimes I think as Christians, and I look at my own heart, that somehow here will be uber-Christians, but out there in the world, if it's justified and if circumstances permit, we'll let our guard down and behave in a more worldly and carnal way. You know, I need to shout here. I need to get angry in this situation. I need to lose it. No, you don't need to lose it. You don't need to shout. Because one of the characteristics of a child of God is self-control, slow to anger. We're not to respond in worldly and carnal ways. We're not to go at it like a bull in a china shop. We're to reflect Christ in every situation. We're to glorify God in every situation. We're to show that godly wisdom. You know, it's amazing how... And I noticed this from the very beginning, and, and I don't know anything about your members' meetings at all, but I just remember, I remember the first members' meeting I went to, and such a contrast between, between what it was like in the prayer meeting the previous week and what the members' meeting was like. It, 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 was, it was tense. It was years ago. This is like 25 years ago. There was tension. The people were responding in worldly ways. People were lacking in self-control. There was emotion and there was a lack of wisdom. And, 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 and I, I was surprised at the contrast. Why was it so different? Because somehow we think, well, you know, th- this is a form which allows us to drop our guard and be a little less spiritual and a little bit more worldly. No. We are to show that wisdom, that godliness. We're to reflect Christ. We're to show that love in every circumstance, in every situation. Why? Because it glorifies God. It's an obedience to His Word. And it's a testimony to who we are in Christ. And so in every situation, in every circumstance... We're not to respond like a bull in a china shop. We're not to respond in anger. We're not to respond in a carnal and worldly way. We're to live distinctive lives that the world will see that distinctive difference. We bless those who revile us. We love our enemy. We turn the other cheek. We demonstrate self-control, kindness, goodness, love. The fruit of the Spirit must be evident in our life, radiating from us. So that people are going, who is that person? Why do they not react in that way? Why do they not respond in that way? In every situation, in every circumstance, godliness seems to emanate from them. And so as God's people, we need that godly wisdom and godly character to be evident. It was evident in Ruth's life, that virtuous woman. It was evident in Boaz's life. May the Lord be with you. May the Lord bless you, Boaz, the laborer said to him. And we are to demonstrate that Christ-like conduct, conversation, and character in every circumstance. To handle things with wisdom as God's people, 
I've maybe said this before, we need a high level of KWD. You'll read this in Colossians. Knowledge, wisdom, and discernment. You know, if you've got good knowledge of God's word, it'll breed wisdom. If you've got wisdom, then you'll have discernment, knowing truth from error. If you've low KWD individually and as a church, you'll be shooting off in all directions. (laughs) You'll be shooting off like a pinball machine. You'll be going here and there. You'll be acting like the world acts. Disunity, carnal reactions, fleshly instincts, looking to self, looking to man's wisdom. It's a disaster. But if you have high level of KWD, high knowledge of God's word, wisdom, discernment, then you're going to know the will of God. You're going to seek the will of God, and you're going to obey the will of God, and you're going to reflect Christ, and the world around you, the community around you, will see that distinctiveness and difference. And like Naomi saw with the revived Israel, they'll be drawn to this place. Either one of two things. They'll be repelled, or they'll be drawn. And as God's people, we need to demonstrate that godly wisdom, that godly character of Boaz, reflecting Christ, in everything that we do. So Boaz comes to the gate of the city to meet with this closer relative, to see whether this closer relative wants to be the family kinsman redeemer and all the responsibilities that come with that. Boaz said in verse 1, come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came came aside and sat down, and he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down, just going about it all the right way, taking witnesses, the 10 men of the elders of the city, so that everything that's going to be agreed here in the next few verses is confirmed, is legal, is binding, is done the right way, in the God-glorifying way that Boaz goes about it. So here comes the deal that Boaz presents to the closer relative, who remains nameless and remains nameless to this day. Verse 3, then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. So what has happened here is that Naomi seems to have sold the, the lease of her land. Probably because she was absolutely in need of it. Um... Some may think it was actually a reference as well to Elimelech having sold the land when he went over to Moab. But one way or another, the land has been sold. And land in Israel is very important. You know, you may have a few acres, you may have more than that, you may have less than that. Land is land, it's good to have it, fine. But land here, land, it's really important. Remember, God gives the Israelites the promised land. Land was allocated to the tribes. Land was allocated to families. Land is really important. And this land has been sold. And remember the kinsman redeemer role? The kinsman redeemer role is to buy back, redeem forfeited land, to bring it back into the family, to secure that inheritance. And so what Boaz does, coming to this closer relative giving him the opportunity to fulfill the kinsman-redeemer role, doing the right thing, he says to him, there's land that's available. It's a land deal. And you have the opportunity, close relative, to redeem it, to buy it, to take it for yourself. 
And the closer relative says, I will redeem it. Well, there's land going, so I'm going to take it. I'm going to take that land. But then in verse 5, Boaz adds another layer to this deal. He says this. Boaz said, on the day you buy the field, if the day you buy the land from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. So this isn't just a land deal, Boaz is saying to the closer relative. You're, if you're going to fulfill the kinsman redeemer role, the kinsman redeemer role is about buying back forfeited land and making sure that that land remains within the family name and that the inheritance is secure for a family heir. And for there to be a family heir, there needs to be the marriage of a childless widow, in other words, Ruth. Boaz is saying to the kinsman redeemer, you take the land, you also need to take Ruth in the hand of marriage. It's all part of the kinsman redeemer role. Persons, property, posterity. It's all part of it. You can't just take the land and off you go. It's about taking Ruth as well in the hand of marriage. Verse 6, and the tension rises. What's going to happen? Verse 6, the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. The close relative was happy enough to take the land, but he wasn't going to take Ruth's hand in marriage. He wasn't prepared to, to, to buy that land and to take Ruth, and the, and the heir that would come from the marriage of Ruth would, be, would wreck his own inheritance and wreck the inheritance for his own son. So he wasn't prepared to make that sacrifice. He wasn't prepared to make that sacrifice for Ruth. Why? Because he didn't love her. Boaz loved Ruth. But this closer relative didn't love Ruth and wasn't happy to take the land. But if it means marrying Ruth and, and all the matters concerning my inheritance, that's going to mess all of that up. Not prepared to make that sacrifice. I don't love Ruth. I'm not going to make that sacrifice. So therefore, do you know what, Boaz? You take the land. You redeem it. You fulfill the kinsman redeemer role. And you know, again, that points us to the Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Our great redeemer. You know, he didn't, he didn't just on the cross at Calvary purchase us with his precious blood. He didn't just purchase us from the slave market of sin and set us free. He transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his son. He didn't just redeem us to set us free. He redeemed us so that we would be in a relationship with God. Isn't that incredible? That he didn't just save us to get us out of going to hell and that we would sign up to Christianity and, and carry on as we please and as we like. No, he saved us. He redeemed us to purchase our inheritance, to give us a, a, a future state of glory. But not only that, that we would enter into relationship with the living God, that we would be in union with God. Brothers and sisters, you are in union with God. First John tells us that we are in fellowship with the Father and the Son. Isn't that incredible? When you think of your sin, when you think of your life, and just remember and rejoice in the fact that we are in a relationship with the living God. We're in union with God. And that's an eternal union. That's an everlasting union. No one can ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. 
You're feeling low, you're feeling weary, you're struggling on the journey of faith. Know this, nothing will separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. You're in union with him. You've been brought into a new and living relationship with the living God through Christ. And nothing will ever change that. Nothing. Nothing will ever separate you from his love. Nothing will ever break that union. It's an eternal and everlasting union that is for eternity. And therefore, we rejoice in the Lord this morning that we haven't just been redeemed by his precious blood. We haven't just been bought out of the slave market of sin, but we've been brought in to a new relationship with God. We haven't just been bought out of the, transfer, the, the domain of darkness, but we've been brought in to the kingdom of his own dear son. We're in union with God and praise the Lord and rejoice in that and rest in that this morning, brothers and sisters. And friend, right now you're in union with the world. That's the reality. Your hope is in the world. You're in union with the world. You're under the world. You're part of the world. And as I've said so many times before from God's word, that world, that world out there that you place your hope in is passing away along with its desires. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Come like Ruth to the foot of your Redeemer. Come and get right with God this very morning. You might say, Philip, how do I do that? My sin is too great. My sin is too much. No, come to the foot of your Redeemer. Come and give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. He will not cast you out. He will not turn you away. Come to the foot of your Redeemer and give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. And so the deal is done. Verse 7. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders, verse 9, and all the people, your witnesses this day that I have brought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilean's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover Ruth, the Moabites, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. So Ruth and Boaz get married. Boaz fulfills his kinsman redeemer rule. He buys the land back into the family name, securing the inheritance, securing that heir, and marries Ruth um, and takes her as his wife. And the story continues. Verse 11. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Epiphra and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. What a blessing from the local community, from the local people to Ruth and Boaz that, you're, that, you, uh, may, may, um, like that, that, that their house would be like like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel, the, uh, indeed the, the mothers of the whole nation of Israel. What a blessing to put on Ruth and Boaz. And in verse 13, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went into the herd, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. 
Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. What a beautiful picture. We're sort of brought back to Naomi here for a moment. Do you remember Naomi having crossed over that border to Moab? And those days, those years in Moab were horrendous for Naomi. She lost her husband. She lost her two sons. She had gone over to Moab full, and in her own words, she returned to Israel empty. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Call me better. Her experience in Moab was horrendous. She experienced great loss and great pain. She had distanced herself from the Lord. She had lost her family. It all just seemed to be over for Naomi. But God moves in the messiness. And there's hope. Why? Because God is love. And God had a plan for Naomi's life and a plan for Ruth's life. And as Naomi crosses over that border, she doesn't know what's ahead of her, but the Lord does. The Lord had a plan and a purpose for Naomi's life, for Ruth's life, for Boaz's life, for our life. And God moved in the messiness of this little family and brought Ruth to that field who met Boaz. And and as the story unfolded with all its challenges, we see the hand of God in it all. And now we see Naomi nursing her grandson. What a beautiful picture. A beautiful picture of restoration, a beautiful picture of the the blessing of the Lord in her life. But there's much more to this story. Much more. Let's continue reading. Also the neighbor, verse 17, give him a name saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David, verse 18. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. Jesse begot David. In the providence of God, I was doing a little study up in Oma there just on Monday. And this, this friend of mine who we were doing a Bible study with, we were going through Second Timothy in chapter 2. And it was on the particular verse that I started on, Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8. Paul says to Timothy, remember Jesus Christ of the seed of David. Remember Jesus Christ of the seed of David. This family line, Obed, Jesse, David, you follow the family line. You come to Jesus Christ. You come to our great Redeemer. You come to our Messiah. You come to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This little story is a beautiful story of a family, of relationships, of of troubles and strife and the blessings of the Lord. But this story is more than that. This story is about Christ. This story is about our Lord and Savior. And when you, if you miss that in Ruth, you miss everything. You miss everything if you do not see Jesus Christ, our great Redeemer. In fact, as you go through every passage of the Old Testament, if you miss Jesus Christ, you miss everything. 
It all points to our great Redeemer. It all points to the Lord Jesus Christ, our great Redeemer. This little family, the family line leads to the Lord. And you know what's amazing, isn't it? Ruth was a Moabitess. Let's remember that. Ruth was a Moabitess. Ruth was a Gentile. Ruth was a worshiper of foreign gods. But in the mystery of providence, God who is gracious and merciful worked in the messiness of these people's lives and brought Ruth to a saving knowledge of the Lord, a Moabitess. And more than that, brought her into relationship with Boaz. And more than that, if you follow her family line, you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, Jew and Gentile, Boaz and Ruth coming together. And that, that relationship which would lead to, the heir that would lead to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here it started with a, a Gentile and a Jew coming together, which reminds us that Jesus Christ did not come into the world just to save one nation, just to save one people. Jesus Christ came into the world to save both Jew and Gentile. In other words, you and me. <laughs> to save us. Not just one nation, but people from all nations and all tribes. Whatever your background, whatever your culture, whatever your nation, whatever your identity, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, both Jew and Gentile. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Maybe this morning you're thinking to yourself, my sin is too great. It, it, I, my, my history is too complex, Philip. You're telling me to come to the foot of my Redeemer, but you want to see, you want to hear of my background. I'll never be accepted. Let me promise you from the authority of God's word, anyone who comes to the Lord, he will in no ways cast out. You know, Ruth, a Moabitess, a pagan woman, came to the foot of her Redeemer. The Apostle Paul, a persecutor of Christians, a, a, pers a person who organized the death of Christians, the imprisonment of Christians, was on a relentless pursuit to destroy Christians. To his own admission, he was the chief of sinners. And yet, God showed grace in his life to where he went from a persecutor of Christians to where he says in 2 Timothy, I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they may obtain salvation in Christ Jesus. God is gracious and God is merciful. Whatever your background, whatever your history, wherever you come from, doesn't matter. Come to the foot of your Redeemer. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. When you read Ruth, you see a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of forgiveness, a God who redeems, a God who brings back and restores and revives. And so this morning, if you're in Moab this morning as a believer, be revived and restored this morning. Come back like Naomi and Ruth to the Lord and see the blessing of God in your life again. Be restored this morning. Know that joy and assurance and peace. It's no good in Moab. Be restored. And if you're in the world this morning, if you're still holding on, and maybe it's guilt, maybe it's fear, maybe it's pride that's holding you back. Do you want to do with guilt, fear, and pride? Bring it before the Lord. And just leave it there and just say, Lord, my guilt, my fear, my pride, there it is. Forgive me, cleanse me, restore me, bring me into a new and living relationship with you. And the Lord will save you to the uttermost. And you will be, like many people in this room, in union with God.
this very morning. And it's an eternal union. And it's an inheritance that has been purchased for you. An inheritance has been purchased for me and for many in this room. And that inheritance, God's word tells us, is undefiled and incorruptible and will never pass away. It, it will never fade away. And it's kept by the power of God. So we've got an inheritance that will never change. It's ours in Christ. It's been purchased by his blood. We are secure in him. He is our redeemer. You know, Boaz, Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, points to the Lord Jesus Christ. Boaz loved God. That's what we saw straight away in Boaz, didn't we? He loved the Lord. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our redeemer, he loved the Father and did the will of God by coming into the sin-cursed earth to die for you and for me. Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, points to the Lord Jesus Christ. As Boaz protected and nourished Ruth, he points to the Lord Jesus Christ, our redeemer, who protects us, who saves us, in whose hands we are safe and secure, and indeed nourishes us daily, daily by his word and by his spirit. The kinsman redeemer, Boaz, had to be a family member to fulfill the kinsman redeemer role. And for the Lord Jesus Christ to redeem us, he had to come from heaven's glory and take upon himself human flesh. He had to become in the likeness of man so that he could identify us, to identify with us, represent us, and take our place on the cross at Calvary. That's what he did. We should have been there, but Christ went there in our place, our kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer Boaz had the duty of buying family members out of slavery. And he points to the Lord Jesus Christ who has bought us out of slavery and set us free in Christ Jesus. The kinsman redeemer Boaz had the duty of buying back land that had been forfeited. And the Lord Jesus Christ on that cross has purchased our inheritance with his precious blood. You know, Boaz, the kinsman redeemer to Ruth, he bought that land and he took Ruth's hand in marriage because he loved her. And the Lord Jesus Christ went onto that cross and redeemed us and restored us and reconciled us onto the cross. Why? Because he loved us. He made that sacrifice for you and me because he loved us. That closer relative wasn't willing to make that sacrifice because he didn't love Ruth, but the Lord Jesus Christ was willing to make that sacrifice because of his great love for you and for me. Boaz, as a kinsman redeemer to Ruth, had a great plan to redeem Ruth onto himself. And from the very, before the very foundation of time, God had a great redemptive plan for you and for me to save us, to redeem us, to forgive us, so that we would enter into a new and living relationship with him. Rejoice this morning, brothers and sisters, in your salvation, in your eternal redemption. Rest in it. Rest in it. Seek assurance from it. Gain assurance from it. Gain peace from it but also respond in obedience and service. Respond this week by knowing that we have been redeemed. Go out there into the world and talk about the Lord. Chat about Christ. As I was saying up in the prayer meeting earlier on, you know, we chat about everything, don't we? How often do you chat about Christ? How often do I chat about Christ? Talk about the Lord this week. Include him in your conversation. And I guarantee you, at some stage, you'll get into conversations about your Lord and Savior and your Redeemer. And you may even get an opportunity to share your testimony. You might even get an opportunity to talk about the Lord. You might even get an opportunity to present the gospel. And as we know, when the gospel is proclaimed, when the gospel is shared, yes, some people might mock. 
Some people may even want to continue the conversation, but others may join, may put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, this morning, as I close, I want to say one last time as we come to the end of this story in Ruth, if you haven't yet done so, come to the foot of your Redeemer. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ, why he may be found. There's salvation at the cross. There's forgiveness in him. Come to him this morning. Put your faith in the Lord. Give your life to him. And this morning, you will be saved. This morning, you will be in a new relationship with the living God. This morning, like many here, you will be in union with God, praising his name and giving glory to him. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Eternal Father, we just thank you for this time around your word. And Father, we thank you for the study of Ruth. It is your word and it's your message. It's your Holy Spirit and it's your power, Father, that delivers it. And Father, we thank you that a weak vessel was used in that, in that regard, Father, but it's all of you, all the glory to you, Father. And we thank you that, that in this story, it's not just about Naomi, it's not just about Ruth and Boaz, it's actually about us. It's actually about our redemptive story. And Father, we thank you that this story points us to the Lord Jesus Christ, our great Redeemer. The one who, if we follow that line from David, if we follow that family line, we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our great Redeemer. And we thank you, Father, that he came onto that cross and paid for our sins in full. We thank you, Father, we've been redeemed by his blood. We've been set free in Christ. And not just that, but we've entered into a relationship with the living God through Christ Jesus. We're in union with him. Father, what a privilege. We rejoice this morning in our salvation. We rejoice this morning in our union with God. We rejoice that it's an eternal union that will lead to glory. We rejoice, Father, that that redemptive plan has led to an inheritance that has been prepared for us. And indeed, it is undefiled and incorruptible and will never pass away. Everything else will pass away. But indeed, that inheritance will remain forever. And Father, we thank you. We have an end destination that we can rejoice in, look to. But Father, let us not just be lifted up this morning, but lowered and humbled to do good service for you. Father, we pray for the godly wisdom of Boaz in our lives. We pray, Father, that we would reflect Christ and, and demonstrate him in every situation, in every circumstance. Not for ourselves, Father, but for the glory of God, for, 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 the, for, for obedience to you, and for a testimony to a lost world. And Father, for anyone here who has held back in coming to the foot of their Redeemer, who does not yet want to make that sacrifice, we pray this morning that they would let go of the world and cling on to the Lord and give their life to him in saving faith. And we pray these things in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Just before the Lord's table, we come to uh, our next hymn. My hope is built on nothing less.